Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So glad that you're here with us on this Good Friday service. What a blessing. As we look at the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, a couple just uh, quick notes that I want to make for you. Um, we have one of the, I believe, best children's ministry uh, here uh, at Calvary Chapel Greeley, youth as well. And uh, at our services, we have the children checked in, and they can learn at their level. But uh, at uh, Resurrection Weekends and Christmas Eve, we have family services. So I want to help you parents out. We're so glad that your children are here, and we'll be glad for the, uh, this weekend, 6 o'clock tomorrow night, and then 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. And we will have a nursery provided for three years and under. But with these family services, we're here to serve you and your children. So uh, I know how kids can be a little antsy and excited and it's spring and it's, it's Easter and, and all of that. So we do have that coffee shop area out there if you need to, um, you know, dismiss yourself. And there are people there to serve you and help you. And you can see the service and hear the service. So we just wanted to make sure that you know that that is available for you. But we're so glad that every one that has come, that you're here, and uh, we're so excited, especially after last year, COVID, we weren't able to meet, to be together again as a family, as the body of Christ, to look at the crucifixion of Christ in John's gospel today, and then also as we're going to celebrate the fact uh, that he is alive and the tomb is empty. So just want to let you know about that. Also, uh, just check out everything next uh, Sunday. Uh, we'll be back in Matthew's Gospel uh, at our regular times and, and uh, 8, 9.30 and 11 o'clock, three morning services. So we'd love for you to come back, join us uh, for that. And uh, um, wonderful, incredible study that uh, as we go through Matthew's Gospel. But today I'm going to be in John's Gospel. If you brought your Bible with you, and I'm going to be reading from chapter 19. Of course, all four gospel writers record the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And on Wednesday, I did a teaching on the Upper Room Discourse. John, his emphasis as he writes his gospel, John writes his gospel after the synoptic writers, that is of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John emphasizes Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem, and particularly the last week of Jesus' ministry, as we uh, read on Sunday morning, the triumphal entry of Jesus from John's narrative, that the synoptic writers then begin to emphasize the religious leaders coming against Jesus and trying to trap him, find a reason to accuse him. They're really wanting to put him to death, and so they're coming at him as he's teaching in the temple, and we know that they got their break as Judas went to them and said, I will betray him into your hands. We know that in Matthew's gospel that Jesus would give a final rebuke to those religious leaders in a series of woes. He would dismiss himself from the crowds. He would dismiss himself from the religious leaders. He would go on the, the top of the Mount of Olives. He would give a private briefing, if you would, to his disciples concerning his second coming, the signs that will surround the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then the next day, he has his last meal with his disciples and celebrating Passover. John records uh, a quarter of his gospel to what is called the upper room discourse. And we looked at a portion of that on Wednesday. And now as we come to the time that he is going to be crucified, 
We know that all four gospel writers record how he would leave that upper room. He would go over to the side of the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. It would be Judas that would lead a detachment of troops to come and arrest Jesus. And there Jesus, as he's in the garden, would be bound up, taken back to Jerusalem. He would be taken to Caiaphas' house. He would first stand before Annas, the the, uh, power behind the high priestly office. And then he would stand before what was called the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin Council, made up the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it was an illegal trial happening at night. They would condemn him to death. They would beat him at that time. We know that they would put him into a holding cell. You can go there to Jerusalem today, and you can see the actual place where they would hold Jesus. Very fascinating as you go into that little place. And we also know at that time that Peter would deny the Lord. It would be early the next morning that he would stand in the official trial before the Sanhedrin Council, and then he's handed over to Pilate. So three religious trials that he would go under, and then three civil trials as he went to Pilate. Pilate sent him to Herod. Hey, you're from Nazareth of Galilee. That's his jurisdiction. I'll let Herod take care of it. Herod just mocked Jesus, and Jesus didn't say a single word to Herod. Back to Pilate, and then Pilate would have him stand before the people, and it was Pilate that would give them a choice to to either release Barabbas or Jesus. And they all cried out as the religious leaders were behind that, saying, crucify Jesus. We want Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. We will not have this man rule over us. Jesus would then be scourged with the cat of nine tails. They would rip the skin off of his back. They would put a crown of thorns around his head, those Judean thorns that you can see today in Jerusalem. They're about three or four inches long. They are hard as nails and sharp as razors. And then as he would come and stand before the people, it was Pilate that would say, Behold the man. Look at him. Look what you have done to him. He's unrecognizable. It was Isaiah that prophesied that he would be marred more than any other man and that he would have his beard pulled out. They would beat him as well. And then they put uh, him before the people in a final shout of we have but one king and that is Caesar, the religious leaders would say. Absolutely amazing. And then he would take that cross and walk through the narrow streets of Jerusalem called the Via Della Rosa the way of sorrows, and he would collapse under the weight of that cross. Simon of Cyrene would then take the cross, and they would head to that place that was called in the Hebrew tongue, Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where they would hang Jesus on that cross. And as I said, John here recording that, we know that Jesus, he came to this world for that very reason. Sometimes you'll hear at this time of the year that Jesus fell into unfortunate circumstances. No, he's the land slain before the foundation of the world. It was promised clear back in Genesis chapter 3 that we would have hope that there would be the seed that would come from the woman and that the Messiah would come. And as we see that Jesus here, he says, my hour has come. And we know that even Pilate, as Pilate was talking to him, said, don't you know that I have the power to release you? I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus said, you have no power 
with me. You know, all, you know, you could have no power at all against me unless it's been given to you by my Father. And so Jesus would take that cross. They would pin him to that cross as he hung between heaven and earth. And as he's on the cross, we know that there are seven sayings of Jesus. We know that it would be Luke that records that he first said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Luke also records that the second saying of Jesus is he turned to the thief next to him who cried out to him and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said that you will be with me in paradise. Before the sun is set, you'll be with me in paradise. And we know that at that time that uh, we see that Jesus hanging on the cross for a total of six hours from the third hour to the ninth hour. That John records the third saying of Jesus in verse 25 of chapter 19. I'll read it to you. You can follow along. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, that behold your mother and from that hour that disciple took her to his own home we know that disciple to be john and so the third saying of jesus is that he would commission john to the care of his mother john would then escort mary away to his home and he would spare mary from seeing the the continuing suffering of jesus on the cross and then at that time there would be three hours that would come upon the whole earth is what dr luke records in his gospel not just in jerusalem not just in israel but there was a darkness that covered the whole earth for three hours as our sins were being placed upon jesus and the one who knew no sin became sin for you and for me that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And as Jesus is on that cross for three hours, we know that then he would cry out as the darkness would come to an end, that Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Matthew and Mark records that. Matter of fact, it's the only recording those two gospels have of Jesus on the cross. And then we pick it up as he would say the fifth saying. After this, Jesus knowing that all these things were now accomplished in verse 28 of John chapter 19, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. As Jesus here is on the cross, we know that um, Mark chapter 15 verse 23 says that Jesus, he did not accept the pain-numbing drink at the beginning of his ordeal on the cross, but now at the end of his sufferings on the cross, again, he's been on the cross for six hours. He accepts this taste of genuinely diluted wine. And it's interesting that they dipped it in hyssop. It is the Passover lamb that it was told in Exodus chapter 12. And Jesus is a fulfillment of Passover. He's the Passover lamb that died for the sins of humanity. And in the book of Exodus, when Passover was being instituted by the Lord, the Lord said that you're to take the blood and dip it in hyssop and put it on the doorposts and the lentils, which, by the way, would make a cross. And then as this, this was put to his lips, it would wet his parched lips in his dry throat. A fulfillment of Psalm 69, verse 21. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. So he could say three of the most wonderful words 
that we have in the scripture next to that I love you, we read in verse 30 that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. And that's the focus of what I want to relay and remind you of here on this Good Friday. Jesus would cry out in, in that sixth saying on the cross, it is finished, te telestai. Now, they found new papyri receipts from taxes that had been recovered with those words on it. Te telestai, it means paid in full. It is finished. Jesus did not say that you are finished. He said it is finished. The redemptive work of God as he suffered the penalty of God's justice, which sin deserved, as he took the wrath for you and for me, and the price has been paid in full for our sins by Jesus' death on the cross. And we can marvel at that today. And as Jesus took that cross and he went to that place of execution, he did it because he loves you. He did it for you, for you personally, individually, because he knew that you would be here on this Good Friday. And he says to you that I love you. And he was thinking about you as he took that cross to Calvary, as he hung on that cross there on the hill called Calvary. And he did it because we needed forgiveness of sin. And listen, people need to understand and we need to remind them why Jesus went to the cross. Because that is our hope. He provided forgiveness of sin. And, and sin entered into the world when Adam sinned in the garden. And sin and death has come to every individual. But God didn't leave us without any hope. He sent his son as the lamb that was led to the slaughter. To come and suffer in ways that we can't fully understand. The pain, the, the suffering. And on that cross paid the price for you and for me that we might be forgiven. And you see, none of us are good enough to come in our own righteousness. There's a lot of people, I know you know them, and they talk with you. They say, I'm good enough to get to heaven. I'm a good person. I've been a good spouse. I've been a good parent. I've been a good person in the community, a hard worker, whatever it may be. I even go to church. I serve at church. I'm a good person. But here's the thing. None of us are good enough. That's why Jesus came, to die for our sins. And on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. I paid the price. I did the work. I bore your sins upon myself and took the wrath of death and suffering that you and I deserve upon himself on that cross because there was no other hope. There is no other hope for forgiveness of sin. All the money in the world could not redeem you back to God. All the goodness that you try to do could not redeem you back to God. Only Jesus coming, the Son of God, and dying on that cross for you. And it is finished. And listen, never put a question mark where God puts a period. Because there are going to be those that will come along and put this heavy trip on you. Well, you're really not forgiven. You're really not saved. It's not by faith alone. It's you have to worship on this day or you have to observe this you know, ordinance or you have to be baptized or you have to do this, you have to do that. And that is an offense to the cross. And to these words that Jesus cried out, it 
is finished. So rejoice in that. And being finished as we come in faith and surrender our heart to him. And know this, none of us are good enough, but I want you to also know, don't ever think that I can never be good enough to come to him because he died for every single one of your sins. And the level, the, the foot of the cross is level. It's on level ground. We all have access. And the invitation is always to come, to come and see Jesus on that cross dying for you because of his love for you and crying out, it is finished. Te die. I've done the work. And now we come in faith and we receive it by faith as we turn to him and recognize our need to be forgiven. And then as we know that Jesus said those words, he bowed his head, he gave up his spirit. In verse 31, therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, and the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. And then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who was sent has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones should be broken. That's taken from Psalm 34, verse 20. You see, in the book of Exodus, when they would prepare to pass over lamb, that none of its bones were to be broken. And then another scripture says, verse 37, they shall look on him whom they pierce, quoting from Zechariah chapter 12. Jesus on that cross, and as the religious leaders, it is interesting to me that it's in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 21 that God gives this miscellaneous law before they go into the promised land. That if anyone dies on a tree, you're not to leave the body up on the tree overnight or on the Sabbath. This is long before crucifixion became a means of, of executing somebody. Crucifixion was a Roman method of putting people to death. And it's where we get our word excruciating, excruciating pain. Jesus, as Psalm 22, David prophesying a thousand years before Jesus hung on the cross, they pinned my hands and my feet. All my bones are out of joint. Getting one bone out of joint is painful, but all of his bones, my heart melts like wax. And here, as it is coming towards the, the Sabbath, they didn't want the bodies on the cross, and cross was a slow method of execution that as you were on that cross, you would just kind of bow down and, and uh, slump down. And the pain that would go through your body as you had those nails holding you up. And then the air would be squeezed out of your lungs and you would slowly, slowly suffocate. And the only way to get a breath of air was to push up on the nail in your feet and, and to get a breath of air and then collapse back down. And sometimes it took hours, it took days for people to die on the cross. And here they don't want the bodies on the cross. So they come to the thieves on either side. They break their legs so they can't push up on the nail there. And they would die very quickly. Jesus was already dead. And that soldier takes a spear and thrusts it up into a sign and pulls it out. And out came the blood and the water. Which indicates to us that his heart was ruptured. 
Jesus was indeed dead. As we know that John tells us he gave up his spirit. That's the seventh saying as Luke records. That I, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Jesus died on that cross and he bowed his head. And then it says that Joseph uh, of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus at night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. So nearby Calvary, there was a garden in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. He had a tomb carved out of the rock. It had never been used. No one had ever been laid there in that tomb. And so they take Jesus down, Joseph and Nicodemus. Here's the interesting thing to me, is that they go and ask for the body of Jesus. You see, most crucified victims would be taken down and thrown in a garbage heap. I find it interesting that none of Jesus' family came and asked for the body of Jesus. He had brothers. He had sisters. We know that. That's a fact from the scriptures. None of the disciples came and asked for the body of Jesus. But these two individuals, council members, Nicodemus, the master teacher of Israel from John chapter 3, that Jesus said, Nicodemus, if one is to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, I must be lifted up on the cross just as Moses lifted that serpent up in the wilderness. And here is Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, council members of the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin Council, are willing to risk everything to ask for the body of Jesus and prepare for burial and put it in Joseph's tomb that had never been used. But Jesus is only going to borrow it for three days. And then he's going to rise again. We talk about the death of Jesus. We don't really always talk about the burial of Jesus. And here the women from a distance are watching it as they put him in that tomb and they close the tomb with that large stone. And it seemed like everything... The darkness had truly come, but the light is going to dawn on the first day of the week. You know, as Joseph and Nicodemus, disciples, but they had fear. There can be a lot of fear today as a believer. But I pray that we would be strong and courageous to be able to tell others the greatest news ever declared, and that is Jesus died for your sins because of his love for you. And that on Sunday morning, we're going to declare that he's alive. And the world needs to hear that. And that's the hope for the people that you love. It's your hope. It's my hope. And it's the hope for others that need to hear that good news. So may we be strong and courageous and tell people that Jesus Christ died for you. Even as Paul came into Corinth and said, I preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he rose from the grave. Because of his love for you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in your word. And I do want to pray, if there's anyone that is here that you've never come to the cross and you've never given your life to him, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price for your sins. He took your sins individually, personally, upon himself. 
And then he cried out, it is finished. And he is your salvation. There is none other. You can't save yourself. Jesus came. Even as Peter later on would write, that we've been redeemed not with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. And he went to that cross so that you might be forgiven as you come in faith, realizing that you are a sinner, that you will never be good enough to make it to heaven on your own, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that he rose again and he validated what he did on that cross. He is truly the Son of God that conquered sin and death. So if you've never come to Calvary and made a profession of faith and saying that, Jesus, I come to you because I need to be forgiven and I believe you died for me personally and I ask you to sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior, the invitation, as I said, is always to come, even today. Today is the day of salvation. Come and receive forgiveness and right relationship with the Father and the, and the hope of eternal life. As you just, I'll lead you in, in simplicity of prayer, just saying, Jesus, I come to you, and, and I know that I've sinned. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross. You cried out, it is finished, and then you were put into a tomb, and you rose again. And So be my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for this newness of life, this new beginning. In Jesus' name. And this weekend, Lord, I pray that we would rejoice that in the fact that we believe in a risen Savior and have a living hope, not a dead hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So bless everyone here today just pondering these things. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.